listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. series um, where we've been looking at videos that have gone viral uh, to kind of go along with our series we've been in the last couple of weeks called Going Viral. And again, whether it's a video, a picture, an article, uh, when we use that word going viral, it just means something like a video, a picture, an article has been viewed uh, by many, many people in a very, very short uh, period of time. It kind of spreads like a virus, you know, just person to person. And most people who kind of have smartphones, a lot of you may have on there uh, an app. It's called Version, and it's a Bible app, and it gives the Bible uh, in a lot of different translations. And it's used by millions and millions of people around the world. And last year, over 70 million Bible verses were highlighted, they were shared, they were uh, linked to there on version. And so we've been taking the top four uh, Bible verses that really kind of went viral, they, they were the most shared or highlighted uh, scriptures and we're looking at not only what they say, but what might be the reason behind that particular Bible verse among all of the others out there. Why these four? Uh, what is it that people are connecting with in that? Now, one escapable fact of life is, and again, your own life experience validates and bears this out. Troubles, difficulties, Trials, tribulation, persecution, times of suffering, it comes to every person, whether you're a Christian or not. And sometimes when you are a Christian, even more so. And Jesus himself said in John 16, he said this, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay? He doesn't say you might have trouble. He says you're going to have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. As a matter of fact, I don't believe there's one person you can point to in the whole word of God, okay, including Jesus himself, where they did not experience some troubles, storms, and difficulties in life. It comes to all of us. Sometimes troubles and difficulties, they come you know, because we deserve it or because of something that we've done. But many times it comes even when we don't do anything. I mean, we're just minding our own business, doing our own thing, not bothering anybody. And all of a sudden, trouble, calamity, difficulties, trials kind of just show up. I learned if you talk to anybody, okay, long enough, everybody has had times and periods of heartache. Everybody experiences times of disappointment and challenges, and given enough time, life gives everybody a shot to the jaw, even when they're not looking or expecting it, right? And I believe this maybe explains why the verse we're going to focus on and look at today may have been popular with so many people. Now again, we started with the fourth most popular one a couple of weeks ago, and that was the verse from Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And there God is speaking to Joshua. Moses has died. Uh, Joshua is now the new leader leading the nation of Israel. They're, they're getting ready to cross over into the promised land, and before they do that, God is speaking to Joshua, and there in verse 9, he says to him, "'Have I not commanded you?' 
Be strong and courageous. Again, this is the third time in like eight verses that God has said this specifically to Joshua, be strong and courageous. So God is really emphasizing this because he doesn't want uh, Joshua to forget this. He says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was number four. Last week we looked at number three, the most third popular verse, according to you version, and that was Matthew uh, 6.13. We kind of talked, this was kind of a, uh, an odd one. I, I wouldn't have expected this one, but there uh, it was, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we kind of again talked about uh, how to overcome temptation in our lives. And so today, we're going to kind of look at a verse that is seen and heard, not just in the Bible, I mean, this is a, a verse you'll hear in books or movies. You'll hear it in speeches. As a matter of fact, when George W. Bush stepped onto the inaugural platform on January 20, 20th, uh, 2005, to take the oath of office uh, for a second term, he put his hand on the Bible, as every president does, and he had turned it to um, a particular verse that he had chosen, and that is the verse we're going to look at today. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 31. And there it says, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now let me just uh, start because again, what I tell you all the time is uh, whatever Bible verse you're looking at, Context, context, context is so important because what you're going to find next week is the number one Bible verse that, that people use, um, it, it's really taken out of context and oftentimes people kind of twist it to mean something that it really doesn't mean because they're not viewing the scripture in context. So let me just kind of give you this scripture uh, Isaiah 40, verse 31, in context. Okay, so just bear with me. I'm going to give you just a really, really uh, quick history lesson here. At the height of its power, Israel was one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth. Okay, uh, it was ruled by two very, very uh, great kings. Uh, you remember them, King David and his son, King Solomon. After Solomon died, the nation was kind of split up into two for reasons I really don't have time to go into uh, this morning. And so of the 12 tribes, because Israel was, was made up of 12 tribes, of those 12 tribes, 10 of the tribes kind of split off and they formed what we called the Northern Kingdom of Israel. Um, and then the two remaining tribes, they kind of formed what we call the southern kingdom of Judah. And both kingdoms kind of fell into spiritual uh, decline. Uh, they rebelled against God and his laws. And so God sends prophets um, among the nations to try to call them back to some kind of spiritual revival and renewal. But they refused um, to, to listen, to heed the call or the word of the prophet. And so this spiritual decline, it probably lasted about 350 years. 
until finally the northern kingdom of Israel, it fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC, and they were kind of just taken off into exile. Now, 136 years later, following that, the southern kingdom of Judah, they fall into the hands of their enemies, the Babylonians. Um, In that, the temple was destroyed, the city of Jerusalem was left desolate, um, and the northern kingdom was lost forever. But a remnant from the southern kingdom was allowed to return to the promised land to reestablish the Jewish homeland. And that basically kind of uh, ends the history of the Old Testament. Now, in the midst of all of that, we are introduced to probably one of the greatest prophets of all time, Isaiah. Now, at this time, Jerusalem is under siege, and God has revealed to to the prophet Jeremiah through the writings of Isaiah, okay? Jeremiah sees in the writing of Isaiah that the nation of Israel is going to fall. That they're going to be taken into exile, the city was going to be leveled, and Judah would be no more. So in Isaiah 39 verse 6, this is the, the verse that Jeremiah sees. He says, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So, so Jeremiah, he sees this prophetic word in, in Isaiah's book. And Jeremiah just kind of takes the position after reading that. He said, there's, there's nothing to do now. We, we just have to wait for God's judgment to come. Jeremiah, he knew trouble was on the way for the nation of Israel. Their future was bleak. It was coming to an end. The dam had broken, and nothing could stop the flood of God's judgment that was about to come upon the nation of Israel. And so God's people, they were about to face probably one of the most difficult, trying, faith-testing periods in all of their history. I mean, the promised land, the city of Jerusalem, the temple were going to be lost, captured, and destroyed. And no one in all of that is more depressed, more discouraged, more disappointed than Jeremiah. And out of this darkness, as Jeremiah is looking through the the prophetic word of Isaiah, Isaiah's scriptures there, he finds this ray of hope that comes um, from the book of Isaiah. And and so here's kind of just a key takeaway from that. Don't wait on the trouble that is going to come. Wait upon the Lord who's going to deliver you through it. That's kind of the message Jeremiah begins to receive. He knows trouble is coming, but he's not so much uh, waiting on that as much as he is waiting on for the Lord who's going to deliver them. And so in this scripture... God begins to reveal to Isaiah what to do when trouble is coming or has already come. So let me just kind of give you, I want to just give you three takeaways this morning, especially if you're here this morning and you're in a storm. I mean, maybe you are facing some difficulties, you are facing some trials, there may be some tribulations, some suffering going on uh, in your life, that you may be in a, in a period of testing this morning. I want to kind of just give you three principles from the book of Isaiah 
of what to do when the storms of life become too strong. The first thing that I want to tell you to do and what Isaiah would tell you to do is be confident in the Lord. The city of Jerusalem, I mean the Jewish people, they were not happy. They were not confident about their situation. I mean, they're having trouble believing that that a holy God would allow their city, their temple, God's people to be taken over by their enemies, the Babylonians. I mean, they're they're thinking, God, these people hate you. They they worship other gods. And God, you're going to allow them, you're going to use them to take us captive. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing that? I mean, if God is for us, he can't possibly want this. And so they're wondering, why why is this even happening? They were asking a lot of the same questions we all tend to ask when we get into times of trouble or difficulty. Questions like, does God know what is happening? Where is God in the midst of my, my troubles? Does God know what is happening? Why does God allow it? Does God hear my prayer? Does God even care? Isaiah chapter 40, kind of leading up to, again, verse 31. Look what it says there. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Isaiah, he's basically responding again to the cries of the Jewish nation saying, God sees your trouble. How could he not? He'd have to be deaf and blind not to know what's going on. But I want you to hear his response in verse 28. Again, this is context. We're leading up to verse 31 there in chapter 40. And there he says, have you not heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. At this point in their history, the people of Israel, they, they knew about God. They, they had heard all of the things that, that God had done through Moses to lead the nation out of slavery there in Egypt. They heard the stories of all the miracles that God performed for them as they went through the wilderness period. The manna, the quail, the water gushing from a rock. They were familiar with all of those stories, but they had forgotten. They had forsaken God. And God was taking this opportunity to remind them who he really is. Through Isaiah, God reminds the nation of Israel that he is the everlasting God, that he is not limited by time, he's not restricted by space. He is both the creator and the controller of the universe. My friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, the United States, we are quickly and we are rapidly approaching a date in our history where we are going to be reminded the same thing God was reminding the nation of Israel about. And it's for the same reasons we are getting further and further away from God in our culture Like us, they just thought they could put God on their clock. God, you do what I need you to do when I need you to do it. They thought they could put God in a box. God, you've got to kind of do it our way. They thought they could just kind of, you know, put God to the test. You know what? God, if you let this land, 
this promised land, the city of Jerusalem, your holy temple, your holy chosen people. God, if you allow them to, to, to be taken over by the Babylonians, what kind of a God are you? God was not going to allow them to test him in that way. And what he's affirming there through Isaiah is his understanding is unsearchable. We can know God, we can love God, we can talk to God, we can serve God, we can worship God. But folks, we'll never ever totally understand everything about God. He is infinite, we are finite. He is limitless, we are limited. His ways are so far above our ways, his thoughts so far exceed our thoughts. We may not know what we are doing, or where we are going, but God always knows what he is doing, where he is going, what his plans are for us. We may not understand why is this happening in this way at this time, but that doesn't mean there isn't a reason why God is doing that. I remember when Janie and I were dating, we were in our final year of seminary, and we wanted to get married uh, following our graduation. So we were going to graduate in May, and we wanted to be married uh, that following month in June because we were going to be moving to Iowa to take our first churches after we graduated from seminary. So we had uh, talked about, you know, getting married, and we knew we wanted to do it <clears throat> that summer. And so we were pretty committed to getting married. But I had not yet really officially asked her to marry me. I had not given her um, an engagement ring. And suffice it to say, this kind of drove her nuts. It, it was very, very frustrating um, for her because she just kind of felt like it was really hard to do a whole lot to plan for a wedding if we really didn't have, you know, an engagement, if she didn't have a ring. And so uh, during the fall of 1993, we were going to graduate spring of 1994, get married summer of 1994. And so we pretty much kind of talked about it. We agreed that we were going to do it within that time frame, but we really hadn't done anything to cement uh, that decision. And so she was kind of waiting on me to propose, and I did everything I could to avoid talking about it or even committing uh, to uh, anything for one simple reason. I had a plan in my mind. I knew how I wanted to do it. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew where I wanted to do it. I knew when. I mean, I, I had the whole thing worked out in my mind, but I wanted it to be a surprise for her, so I didn't want to say, yeah, here's what I'm thinking. Here are my plans. And so it, it kind of created some tension because I kind of just left her kind of just wondering when, where, how this was all going to unfold. So unbeknownst to her, we were in Kentucky living there at the time, and I uh, needed to go back to Davenport where I was living at the time in between seminary, and I was going to go back and have Thanksgiving with my family. It was November, and so as I went from Kentucky to make my way back to the Quad Cities, I went through Indianapolis where her mom and dad lived, and I met with them for lunch, and I, I asked you know, their permission uh, to marry their daughter. Uh, she didn't know I was meeting with them or anything, and they said yes, and so I went from there, went home, had Thanksgiving. I think I went out maybe like the next day, and I, I bought her uh, the engagement ring. My plan was, was um, I was going to go to her grandparents' house 
on Christmas Eve because Janie and her family always spent every Christmas Eve with her grandparents um, in Brown County, Indiana. It's like maybe 45 miles uh, south of uh, Indianapolis, in between Indianapolis and Bloomington. And they live out in the boondocks. I mean, it's really, really a hard place uh, to find. And if you know anything about me, I'm like totally directional challenged. I, I can't find my way around Mason City yet. And I've been here like 13 years, or 16 years now. Um, so anyway, uh, we had kind of arranged, I had arranged with her grandpa um, that because I didn't know how to get to their house, and I, I just knew I couldn't follow directions very well. I had kind of said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call you on Christmas Eve, so just be by the phone. When you pick up the phone and you hear my voice, I just want you to say, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number, and hang up. And then that'll be kind of your cue that I'm at our rendezvous point. We had kind of pre-selected a place I knew I could get to and not get lost. And so I said, you know, when you get that phone call, then just try to sneak out the best you can, meet me, and then I'll follow you back to your house. And so he had kind of, um, they had a, a barn that was kind of a ways out away from the house. He lived on a big acreage. Um, and so he had gone out and he had built a really nice little fire out there. And so my plan was when, when I went back was to go down and to park by the barn. Um, and then I was going to walk back up and, and get Janie, and then we were going to walk down to the barn and be in this really nice little cozy barn uh, for me to propose um, marriage. So I went up and got her, and we're walking down. It's snowing. I mean, it's just, it was really romantic. Um, so we get down there, and I don't know what I did, but um, I did something to the door handle that locked the barn door. We could not get in the barn uh, to, to do this. So luckily, my car was still pretty warm from the long drive. So we just went and I, we sat in the car and I proposed to her there. Again, now, uh, first service, Janie was in here as I told the story. Um, and I just said to her, I, I said, now, I, I'm sure if you were to get up here and tell the story, you would have a whole different perspective. And she said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so again, um, the, the, the point of the story is simply this, you know, as frustrated, you know, as trying, as disappointed as I'm sure Janie was in that process, I had a plan. I, I, I knew what I was going to do, when I was going to do it, where I was going to do it, how I was going to do it, even unbeknownst to her. I had a plan. Folks, the same is true with God when it comes to you and I. In those places where, where we're feeling tried, in those difficulties, in those troubles, those storms of life, where sometimes we just feel like God has abandoned us, unbeknownst to us in those times, those moments, God has a plan to get us through that. God has a plan to bring all of that to good. We'll never totally figure out God, okay? We're never going to fully understand him, and so we might as well, you know, quit trying. And I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't stop learning about God. I mean, continue to learn about God. But no matter how much you learn about God, there's always so much more that we're going to need to learn about God. And we'll never, ever come to fully know God because, again, he's infinite. As a matter of fact, I think if you can figure out God, you know what? He's not much of a God, you may remember the name William Jennings Bryan. He was the attorney in the Scopes Monkey uh, trial in uh, 1925, and he was the one who defended the Bible against evolution. And he once compared the mystery of God to a watermelon seed. Now, I listen to what he said. He said, I have observed the watermelon seed. 
It has the power of drawing from the ground and through itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can tell me how it takes this material and out of it, colors an outside surface beyond the imitation of art, and then forms in it a white rind and again a side of red heart, thickly inlaid with black seeds, each one of which is capable of drawing to itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can explain to me the mystery of a watermelon, then you can ask me to explain the mystery of God. And my, my point is, when, when you're facing trouble or are in trouble, you can be confident in a God who is everlasting a God who is beyond understanding. Isaiah says, a God who is beyond being weary or faint. There are times where we get tired, we get weary, we want to quit, we want to give up. God never quits, God never gives up. And that's what God does and what he says to us in Isaiah 4, 40 verse 29. He said, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. When you look to God in the middle of your trials, your troubles, your struggles, your difficulties, and you trust God completely, when you feel hopeless, God will infuse you with hope. When you feel overwhelmed, God will infuse you with his peace. When you feel weak, the scripture says God will give you strength. And God reiterates this point again in verse 31, and it takes us again to the second most popular scripture. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now the Hebrew word there for renew, it literally means exchange. We all know what that word means the day after Christmas, don't we? Anytime you want to, when you're at your weakest, again it says you can look to God and he will exchange your weakness for his strength. You can exchange your weariness for his power. The Christian life, again, it's not just a changed life, but it is an exchanged life. And God is the greatest strength coach who has ever lived. And again, he will strengthen you and enable you to weather any storm if you'll just be confident in him. Second thing to remember in storms and troubles of life, be patient with the Lord. That might have been a good um, Good story also uh, to illustrate with Janie uh, and my story in the engagement. You know, just maybe I should have just said to Janie, be patient, right? If you're here this morning and married, uh, one of the things uh, that is common to most men, and men, I need you to back me up on this one here. Don't leave me hanging on this, okay? Now, most husbands or most men, by nature, we're fixers, aren't we? I stop and think about that. Whenever there's a problem in the home, something breaks in the home. I mean, aren't we, we just kind of like automatically go into fixer mode. We grab the tools, we grab the materials, and we go to fixing things. Well, I think God kind of wired us that way. Now, one of the weaknesses of that tendency is when our wives or girlfriends or fiance, when they come to us with problems or situations they're dealing with in life, I don't know about you, but again, I just kind of go into fixer mode. I'm kind of sitting there and I'll be listening to Janie kind of share something, and the whole time I'm kind of hearing and I'm processing it as to how I can fix that. And man, that is the last thing she's looking for from me. 
She doesn't want me to fix anything. She just wants me to just sit and to listen as she's processing a situation. We, we think we're being helpful in trying to fix it, but it really becomes irritating because, again, what they want from us is, I don't want you to fix the problem. I just want you to hear me. I'm still learning how to do that. Anybody else out there still learning how to do that? This is kind of the attitude of the people of Israel when it came to God. So God kind of gives them this piece of advice as they're facing their storm. He says to them, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I, I just think about that. I'm sure the people of Israel, when they heard that, are thinking, say what? Wait on the Lord? Who has time to wait on the Lord? The wolves are at the door. We're about to be shut down, taken into exile, captured. I mean, the end is near. You want us to wait? God wanted them to just be still and to listen and to wait upon them. You know what Israel wanted? Just fix our problem. Wait actually, the word wait has actually really two meanings. One meaning is just that, to wait. I think one of the greatest things that we can oftentimes do when we get into a trial, a difficulty, a challenge in life, and that's just get alone with God and just wait and listen. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, he said this about waiting in Proverbs 8.34. He said, blessed is the one who listens to me. Watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Now he's talking about someone who is really serious. And they take the time again to get alone with God and just to sit at his feet, patiently waiting and listening and willing to do whatever he asks him or her to do. Because see, when you're waiting on God in that way, what you're simply saying and what you're demonstrating in doing that is you're saying, God, I am totally dependent on you. You're, you're my only source. You're my only direction. God, if I'm ever going to get out of this, if I'm ever going to resolve this, God, it's only going to be because of your intervention. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless without you. But God, I have confidence in you that you are the everlasting God that you're going to move in my life. You have a plan. I may not know what that plan is, but God, I know you have a plan. You have a way, God, that you're going to work this through. And God, you're going to meet my needs. In other words, it says the old song goes, trust and obey, for there's no other way. So again, be patient with the Lord. Be patient in his timing, his way, and he will come through for you, I promise Third thing to remember in the troubles and storms of life, be obedient to the Lord. And I said that, that the word wait has two meanings. It does mean to wait. But the second meaning is not just to wait passively, to sit around doing nothing while you're waiting on God to act. Again, when you're waiting on God to act in this particular area or season of your life, it's so important to continue serving and obeying God in the other areas of life as well. Waiting on the Lord doesn't just mean you just kind of shut everything down in life and do nothing. It means while you're waiting on the Lord in this particular area, 
continue doing some other things, other areas of your life and ministry for the Lord. Take people, again, a great example, who work in a restaurant. I mean, back in the old days, we used to kind of call them waitresses and waiters. And I think they're called servers. And that's really kind of a, a, a more appropriate title um, because what does a waiter do in a restaurant, okay? He, he doesn't just sit in like some kind of a hypnotic trance waiting on you to get your own food and water. Well, I've had a few who've done that, but by and large, no, they're, they're there to serve you, okay? Their one purpose is, is they come up and say, can I take your order? And, and they, they obey you. They go and they kind of fulfill your order. They come back and they just serve that food to you. And again, while we're waiting on the Lord, we're to be serving him, taking his orders, fulfilling his plans for our lives while we're waiting on him in this one particular area. Too often when storms hit, we do the exact opposite. We question God, we forsake God, we forget God, we give up and we quit on God. Do you know what that does? That just makes the storms worse and the troubles deeper. To those who wait, this is what happened. Verse 31 continues. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. You know what that's telling you? That God wants you to be able to fly above the storms. God never wants us to be under or overwhelmed by our circumstances. God wants us to be under him. And where we're under God's protective care, we will fly over the storms and circumstances of life. Isaiah said, he wants you to fly like an eagle. Eagles are an amazing bird. Do you realize they can fly up to an altitude of 10,000 feet? Their wings have 7,000 feathers. They can fly 50 miles an hour. They can go into a dive and reach a speed of 100 miles an hour. They also have very unusual eyes. They have a million light-sensitive cells per square millimeters of retina. And that's five times more than human beings. While humans see just basically three colors, eagles see five. They can see seven times better than we can. At 1,000 feet in the air, a bald eagle can spot prey over a three uh, square mile radius. They can see both forwards and sideways at the same time, and they can even spot uh, an animal the size of a rabbit up to two miles away. Let me tell you something even more fascinating about the eagle. Where other birds fly away from storms, eagles fly into storms because they know that those thermal updrafts can cause them and it will lift them to soar higher um, than they ever would before. See, a storm is no threat to an eagle because he just rides and rises above it and soars over it. In other words, a storm enables an eagle to see better and to fly higher. So what is God telling Isaiah? That in the midst of our troubles, God wants to take you up to where he is. 
God wants you and I in the midst of our storms to have his perspective. When we're going through the difficulties of life, God wants us and he lifts us up and gives us the perspective of his point of view. What is his point of view? God says, I am over, I am above, I am beyond every storm, every difficulty, every problem, every dilemma you will ever face in life. I am in control of thunder. I control every bolt of light as long as you're flying with me, you don't have to fear any storm. But that's not all. He also goes on to say in verse 31, they shall run and not be weary. God is also in the storms with us. God's not on the other side waiting for us to get there. He's there in the midst of the storm with us. There are times uh, in a crisis, again, we're, we're, you know, circumstance will force us to run. Okay, we got to meet deadlines. We got to meet them quickly. We were, a lot of you know, maybe we had purchased uh, the, the Christian school building, um, the old DOT property, um, and we basically had three months to take this property and transform it into a Christian school. I mean, we had to run quickly. We didn't have a lot of time to waste. We had a lot of projects. We had a lot of renovating to do in a very short amount of time to do it. As a matter of fact, we were supposed to start school last Tuesday. We postponed it till uh, this coming Tuesday just because we needed the extra time. I mean, we were, we were running. There are times in life where you got to run. I mean, there's deadlines to meet. And here's what God promises us. He says, I'll give you the strength to do every day all that you need to do to get through this. And it's been a big challenge, but we're, we're ready to go. School opens on Tuesday. We got it done. God has been so faithful in that. Doctors tell us when an emergency hits our body that it releases adrenaline, you know, that, that it gives us kind of power and strength we never knew we had. Again, God has an infinite supply of spiritual adrenaline that'll give us in every hour of trouble to enable us to run and not grow weary. Then God finally says to those who wait, he said, you're going to walk, and in that walking, you will not faint. Again, it's one thing to fly, another thing to run, but then just facing everyday life, sometimes those troubles, those difficulties you go through. How many of you have ever had a day where, man, you just don't know how you're going to get through the day, and you kind of just get out of bed, and it's just basically, you just got to put one foot in front of the other, and that's your goal for the day. And again, God is there through that to give you the strength so that when you just need to walk, that God is there to give you the strength to just make those steps. Again, if you try to walk in your own strength, you're going you're gonna to tire, you're going to grow weak, you'll wear out, you'll faint. But if you're walking and waiting on the Lord, you will not faint. You're going to make it to the end of the day. You're going to make it through this difficulty. God says, you'll be obedient to me. You'll fly higher in the storm. You'll run faster in the storm. And you'll walk through that storm. When it comes to heartache, again, hurt, problems, trials, you may as well expect them. Because all of us are going to encounter them. Every one of us is going to experience them. And what we are tempted to do is, again, is to fly away from the storm or to run from the storm or to walk from the storm. And again, when we get into those difficult times, again, oftentimes our first prayer is, God, get me out of this. I don't want to be here. And when God doesn't do that, then we kind of say, okay, God, when are you going to get me out of here? 
and said, you know what the best question to ask God in those times, in those difficulties? God, is there something you want to show me? God, is there something you want me to see? Is, is there something I need to understand about you in this difficulty? Is there something, God, you're trying to show me about me in this? That sometimes is the best question when you're in those storms of life. God, is there something I need to see here? Because these same Jewish people that Isaiah and Jeremiah were referencing had to wait another 600 years before a baby was born in Bethlehem. And who can deny the good that came out of that? Jesus Christ tells us again through his death, his burial, his resurrection, his life. He says, be confident in me. Be patient with me and be obedient to me. And folks, I'll tell you what, if you'll do those three things in the storms of life, you'll see all the promises of what Isaiah says there will come to fruition. You're going to just be able to rise above that storm. You'll, you'll go through it, but you're just going to rise above it. You're going to see it from God's perspective, God's point of view. You're, you're going to run, and you're not going to get weary. You're going to walk, and you are not going to grow faint. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.